Thank you so much, President Celeste, for that kind introduction. And I want to thank the uh, Economics uh, and Business Department very much for giving me this great honor. It is a terrific honor for me. So tonight I want to talk with you about the state of the new green economy, where we are right now, and what I think we need to do in order to realize the full economic and social benefits of clean technology and sustainable design, not only in the United States, but around the world. We couldn't have a more appropriate venue for our discussion tonight than here at Colorado College, because the instruction and learning that takes place here and at other liberal arts colleges around the country will have a direct impact on making the clean energy economy a reality. An education in the liberal arts empowers people with broad knowledge and transferable skills that last a lifetime. Liberal arts education opens a window onto the wider world of science, culture, law, business, and society, and helps build a strong sense of social responsibility and engagement. Liberal arts majors are communicators, analyzers, problem solvers. They're able to take their knowledge and skills and apply them to real world settings and problems. Perhaps most importantly, they can deal with complexity, ambiguity, and change. As uh, President Celeste said, I'm very pleased that I'm a recipient of a liberal arts education. And throughout my business career, I've been keenly aware of the lifelong benefits that that education provided to me. The ability to adapt to constantly changing circumstances, to think critically about new opportunities, and to see the connections between people, projects, products, markets, uh, different things that otherwise may seem disconnected or disparate. These are the skills of the liberal arts, and they are vital in this transition to a new clean energy economy. Now, it was through my liberal arts background that I acquired an interest in economics. I've always been fascinating as to why some good ideas just seem to happen and create some momentum, and why others are so difficult to get anywhere. The field of economics provided me with a way to think about incentives and the framework by which problems are solved and to think about how can you create momentum so that good things happen, and how can you make it hard for bad things to happen. So the field of economics seemed to provide explanation how the merits of the idea at times can have a great deal to do with ultimate adoption if the right incentives are in place to create momentum. I'm probably somewhat unique in, amongst business professionals in that I've been especially interested in the non-financial aspects of economics because I've found that the um, people are motivated by so many sense of, uh, of non-financial incentives. And as I'll discuss in the moment, it's some of these aspects that will be essential ingredients to the success of the new clean energy economy. I began my career in healthcare. I had asthma as a child and knew early on that I wanted to work in healthcare in some way. And so on a systematic level, I was really wanted to make my work socially relevant. And because I'd been sick as a child, that's what seemed closest to me. At United Health Group, I had a great opportunity to figure out ways to deliver healthcare more effectively 
for low-income families and elderly people. It was during my final years at United that I began to see another issue looming on the horizon, one with the potential to impact the health of every one of us on this planet if left unaddressed. That issue was, of course, climate change. The tons of carbon that we pump into the atmosphere negatively impact the quality of the air we breathe, leading to a rise in respiratory illness. Rising water levels lead to the spread of waterborne illness and disease. The continued destruction of the ozone layer has led to a steady increase of the incidence of various types of skin cancer. Rising temperatures lead to heat waves and heat stress, something to which particularly those most vulnerable amongst us suffer from. If the imperatives of improved human health and a cleaner environment were all that were at stake, we might take too long to embrace the strive for sustainability. But our action to move swiftly is drawn not only about the negative effects of climate change on ourselves and the planet, but there are other imperatives involved, one that I think when they're combined lead to the transformation to a green economy being all but inevitable. There's the issue of national security, not just for the United States, but for all democracies around the world. Global terrorism is directly linked to the difficult politics in the Middle East, where dictators rule using proceeds from cheap oil they sell to developed countries. By moving to an economy based on renewable energy and clean technology, where we're able to reinvest our energy resources here, we also severely undercut the ability of these states to foment terrorism and instability resulting in a better world for all of us. And there's also a huge economic benefit to going green. The clean energy economy is poised to be the mother of all economic opportunities, the investment opportunity of a lifetime, because it is so fundamental. Seeing the green economy as merely a move from fossil fuels to cleaner carbon sources of energy is too narrow a view. The green economy will also impact how we design and manufacture products, how we sell them, how we use them, and ultimately dispose of them. It will affect every business and every industry and presents us with the greatest opportunity ultimately for return on investment, job creation, and economic growth that any one of us will see in our lifetime. The only comparable example I can think of is the Industrial Revolution, which other ushered in a period of enormous innovation and progress for humans. That progress brought people and cultures closer together, literally, by train, cargo ship, car, and plane. In many parts of the world, it also created a middle class, producing time-saving inventions and raising living standards to previously unimaginable wealth. In many ways, it also created this dilemma now that we seek to cause, to solve in the transition from a fossil fuel economy to the economy we're in now. And this transformation to clean energy will be an equivalent moment in history. The transformation is well underway. According to the United Nations, more than a billion, $150 billion worldwide was invested in clean energy companies and projects in 2008 including solar, wind, geothermal, and biofuels. This represented a 5% increase over 2007, despite the economic slowdown. Wind power represented almost a third of the worldwide total, with China and the United States making the most of significant investments. 
Solar power investments total over 30 billion, representing almost a 50% increase over 2007. Perhaps most significant, investments in renewable energy overtook those in carbon-based fuels for the first time in 2008. Despite the global recession in 2009, new energy investments still exceeded 150 billion worldwide last year, a smaller than expected drop of less than 7% from the prior year. Investing in green technology presents a powerful return. According to the global strategic consulting firm McKinsey, if the world invested $170 billion a year for 13 years in capturing these renewable energy opportunities simply to increase energy efficiency, projected energy demand growth could be cut at least in half, while energy savings could rise to $900 billion annually. These opportunities, McKinsey notes, would utilize existing technologies that pay for themselves, therefore freeing up capital for investments elsewhere. And future projections are even more encouraging. If elected officials thoroughly commit to programs to develop renewable energy and clean technology to their full potential, industry and management studies indicate that this sector could generate from 2.4 to 4.5 trillion in revenue and between 20 to 40 million new jobs by 2030. Here in the United States, renewable energy and energy efficiency industries generated almost a trillion in revenues in 2006 and employed 8.5 million people. Green jobs grew at a 9% annual rate between 1998 and 2007. According to the Pew study, more than twice the average growth rates for jobs in general. American companies are starting to pivot strongly to this new paradigm. GE, for example, quadrupled its sale of eco-friendly technology to $17 billion in the last four years. The pioneering companies, industries, individuals, and countries driving this transformation will be both the innovators and the leaders of our time. As history has shown, small changes are often gradual but big changes tend to be sudden and sweeping, transforming everything in their past. They create a clear break between what came before and what comes after. The Gutenberg printing press led to the Reformation and irrevocably transformed the structure of power in Europe in just a few years. The Berlin Wall fell and the divide of Europe between East and West ended virtually overnight. The internet and the cell phone arrived and quickly became everywhere, irrevocably changing society's business and lifestyle in the process. I'm often asked whether America will be that pioneering country to lead the global clean energy economy. Now, a decade ago, that would have been a kind of a silly question. Uh, the United States was unrivaled, a dynamic engine driving the world's economy. With less than 5% of the world's population, our country produced fully 25% of global wealth in 2000. But now, after two wars, the Great Recession, and the stalemate in Washington, the answer to that question is not entirely clear. On the other side of the planet, there's a country moving aggressively to own the green economy. Last year, China overtook Denmark, Germany, Spain, and the United States to become the world's largest producer of wind turbines. The Chinese were already the world's leading manufacturer of solar panels, 
and the third largest producer, producer of biofuels. Keith Bradshaw, the Beijing correspondent for the New York Times, recently wrote that China's efforts to dominate renewable energy technologies raise the prospect that the West may someday trade its dependence on foreign oil from the Middle East for reliance on solar panels and wind turbines made in China. Now, China has enormous financial resources to drive their green investments, holding more than $2 trillion in foreign currency reserves. For the past 20 years, China has invested heavily in new infrastructure. China spent $45 billion in 2009 to upgrade their power grid, while the U.S. spent only $8 billion for the same purpose. China has more Internet users now than the entire population of the United States, $400 million. China is building new subways in its cities and high-speed rail to connect them. China has 27 million students in technical colleges and universities, the most in the world. And Chinese college graduates who once went abroad to find work are now staying home to start new businesses. The Chinese government has also created economic incentives for the use of renewable energy, ranging from low-interest loans to businesses and subsidies to families to install solar panels on their roofs. The Chinese wind and solar industries are aggressively looking to sell equipment abroad. Just this past October, a Chinese firm reached an agreement to sell $1.5 billion worth of wind turbines to a wind farm in Texas. The good news is that this deal created 2,800 new jobs. The bad news is that they're almost all in China. In China, we will face fierce competition for the leadership in the new green economy. Now, fortunately, we in this country have enormous assets. We still have the largest and most dynamic economy in the world, an educated and skilled, work, skilled workforce, and a much freer marketplace, of course. Not censoring Google has big advantages. Our business community is the most innovative and entrepreneurial in the world, with access to sophisticated and experienced venture capital and investors willing to take risks. And of course, as we sit here today on this beautiful campus in this amazing room at the full hills of the Rocky Mountains, we are reminded that America's most prized advantage is its unparalleled higher education system. Now, with these assets, we're going to need to make some difficult and complex choices if we want to lead the clean energy revolution. There are two avenues we can take to fully realize the benefits of the new clean energy economy. One I'll characterize as bottom-up, involving entrepreneurs, small investors, and consumers. The other is top-down, with a significant role for government in setting new policies and creating new incentives to spur investment. Now, at times, listening to the media or political pundits in Washington, you could conclude that we have to choose only one of these paths if we're going to be successful. The truth is that we need to take both these roads. In, in entrepreneurs need to view clean energy as the next big thing. We need investors willing to take a risk on green technologies and green new businesses. And we need American consumers to drive change through the power of their purchases. I've already elaborated on the tremendous amount of investment that's flowing into clean energy. So obviously, entrepreneurs and investors are starting to do their jobs. But what about consumers, American consumers? The news is good there, too. 
The new green economy will be the dawn of a new era of consumer empowerment. In decades past, auto companies like General Motors need not have concerned itself with how the iron ore was mined to be made into steel for their cars. After an automobile was sold and driven about 100,000 miles, it was discarded, with the auto companies not really needing to think about where it was scrapped. Now, more sensitive, informed consumers are demanding what Daniel Goleman calls ecological transparency in the products that they purchase. Businesses will need to know where the raw materials come from, how their parts suppliers operate, and what will happen to their products after they're discarded. Is there a less expensive, more environmentally friendly way to remove that iron ore from the ground? What will happen to the electric car's battery once the car is finished? The new green economy will place a greater premium for businesses to look beyond their organization and understand in intimate detail the entire distribution chain for their products and the resulting impact on the environment. And we're beginning to see that happen. This transparency will not only run to product lifestyle, but will also make a difference for the use of products. Today's energy marketplace all too often suffers from what we in economics call the problem of asymmetric information. Uh, American consumers don't know as much about their products and services as the producer or suppliers. You know, healthcare also suffers from this challenge. If you visit a doctor and he or she recommends surgery, they know a lot more about what's happening to you than you do, and you follow their judgment. Now, energy use is similar. Um, most people get a bill from their utility that doesn't tell them very much except how much energy they use for the month and what they owe. Uh, it doesn't tell you what appliances drain most energies. It doesn't tell you that if you charge your cell phone overnight, the phone draws all night, even when it's fully charged. But the market is beginning to react to consumer demand for greater transparency in their energy use. As prices for energy continues to rise, this demand will escalate. And there was a good article in the New York Times this weekend that talked about the new um, systems that can be put into homes that will tell you exactly how much energy you've used and where it's coming from. So you can see if your dryer is creating a costly problem for you or if it's something else. Terrific. Now, there are still perverse incentives in this arena. Most utilities earn more money if they use more energy, uh, even if that energy is wasted. Several states have moved to decoupling this relationship, so they actually allow utilities to earn more money if their consumers use less energy that lines up the incentives towards less energy use and lowering costs and lowering carbon. And rather than having the perverse incentive of encouraging energy use. Now, much as we would wish that entrepreneurs and consumers could drive the transition to a new clean energy economy, relying on a bottoms up approach alone, that won't do enough to establish American leadership in this space. Simply put, we can't in this way act quickly enough, nor have um, enough comprehensive impact to get the job done. Now, in a way, this sounds kind of counterintuitive in an internet age where three Colorado college grads can work out of their parents' garage and create a billion dollar dot-com business overnight on a shoestring budget. But the energy space is different. It requires a lot of investment in infrastructure 
and a connection to the energy supply chain. An investment of $100 million in an internet company is usually sufficient to get you very successfully into the market. That same $100 million will barely get you started on many clean energy projects, whether it be a wind farm or a solar farm, capable of producing power of any significance. And it also costs a lot to connect you into the supply chain for energy. To speed things up, government needs to be involved. Government can take the lead by enacting legislation to set a price on carbon and create a market for carbon credits. This type of legislation would establish a price signal, something economists like a lot, a powerful tool for influencing behavior and decision making across the economy as a whole. A market through, is also, is through setting a price sig signal is created as polluters who put carbon into the atmosphere buy and sell these credits from each other. Market forces lead to a powerful result. There are some that will argue that the government is interfering in the marketplace by doing this, but I would respond that the government is making the marketplace more efficient, more transparent, and more reflective of the reality of the current problem. Consider how goods and services in a market are priced. The manufacturer will set a value for his or her product by factoring in the production costs, including the wages and benefits of workers, the rent of the factory, the cost of manufacturing equipment and raw materials. But what if that product is produced in a way where the workers are relative slaves, operating in unsafe conditions, receiving wages that barely allow them to feed their families. Now ask if the product is adequately priced to reflect all these costs. No, it's not. These external costs in the system need to be factored in. They need to be factored into the price. And the costs of pollution, the costs of the release of carbon from fossil fuels, the cost to human health, the cost to the environment, are not now factored into the price that we pay for energy. These, what we call in economics, externalities, these external costs need to be factored into the price. And setting a price on carbon brings these external costs into the equation. And the price, therefore, is more accurate. Now, this sounds difficult. Could it work? And there is a great precedent for the government establishing a market like this. Baby boomers in this room will remember the, pro the problem of acid rain. In fact, it was fun. I taught two classes today, and I asked um, who remembered acid, who had worried about acid rain, and it was the professors and I, uh, not the students. And that is a result of the enormous success of a price that was put, a market that was created uh, exactly like this. Back in the 1990s, Congress put caps in place of the amount of sulfur dioxide and other chemicals that could be pumped into the atmosphere that caused acid rain. These caps led to the creation of a, of a market where polluters traded permits, it established a price, and the program has been very successful, achieving its 2010 sulfur dioxide emission goals three years early. And with the overall cost for businesses and consumers just one-fourth of what was originally predicted. predicted. Price signals are powerful. There are also many advantages that accrue to fossil fuel producers now that need to be addressed. 
There are government subsidies for oil and natural gas and coal, and extensive existing infrastructures such as oil pipelines or even just established programs at universities to train petroleum engineers. In the, one of the class I was talking about today, I, I was saying that for students, one of the challenges, if you, if you want to work in the existing energy industries, you can kind of know where to go to school and what kind of jobs to move into. Where if you want to work in the renewable energy industry, you still have to kind of find your own way, which ultimately makes for a very exciting opportunity for new students. But current government policy is, is heavily in the form of tax subsidies and tax incentives weighted in favor of fossil fuels to the tune of about $35 billion a year. These industries have access to government loans and construction bonds that are low interest or interest free. Gas, gas is taxed at a lower level than many goods and oil companies pay minimal amounts in royalties to extract oil from federal land. Clean technologies should either be given similar treatments or we should do away with some of the special subsidies and incentives in order to level the playing field. For those nervous about government involvement, uh, let me remind us so ourselves that government has also often worked effectively with companies to spur investment and innovation in markets. When appropriately directed, government investment in new technologies and sectors can grow jobs and accelerate innovation. Since government doesn't have to answer to shareholders every quarter, governments can take a longer time horizon for investments to mature and bear results. Look at the clinical and technical advantages, advancements made possible by the National Institutes of Health and NASA. Al Gore may not have invented the, invented the internet, but a government agency called DARPA, the research and development wing of the Department of Defense, did. Now, in my own career, I've had the fortunate experience of successfully partnering with the federal and state government to drive changes in healthcare. I found government policymakers to be inquisitive, hungry for information about how the marketplace works, and conscientious in making the right decisions. One company I oversaw, Evercare, delivers coordinated and preventive care to frail elderly individuals living in nursing homes. Evercare started out as a very small pilot project operating in partnership with Medicare and grew to a large company operating in most states. Without Medicare's support and sponsorship, Evercare would not have been possible. So we need a top-down and a bottoms-up kind of strategy to meet together and be able to create this robust American economy that can allow us to lead into the future. So in closing, I'd like to address the students in the audience tonight. Because I'm sure many of you wonder how, as you graduate and you go out into this American economy, especially on this cusp of the recession, what opportunities you'll find. And I'm sure many of you will find great opportunities in this new clean energy economy. In his 2005 book, The World is Flat, Tom Friedman, a fellow Minnesotan, outline the skills workers will need to navigate this new world. The same skills for navigating this world that he lays out, this new flat world, will work very well in this new green world. I'd commend you to read the book, and especially this section for all of you who are students, <clears throat> to read his full description of the skills that new workers will need to have in our economy.
But in closing, I want to touch on three important areas he discusses. One of the skills he highlights increasingly, interestingly enough, is being green. This is not just sitting around thinking environmentally friendly thoughts, but it's deeply understanding the imperative and goals and underpinnings of the new green economy. Just as you'll leave Colorado College versed in information technology, how to navigate the internet, conduct a search, use word processing, a vast array of uh, information tools, be sure you leave Colorado College with a great understanding of the clean energy economy and its full breadth. And just like information technology, you don't need to be a computer science or engineering major to use IT. And in the same way, you can make a big contribution on clean energy from any major. Be creative. Be able to synthesize different ideas and combine them together. Be able to take two things from very different connections and put them in one place. The music industry has been a great example of that. Recording artists and producers made the, mu made the music, record stores sold the music, and companies like Sony made record players, tape decks, and CD players so consumers could enjoy the music in the past. Then Apple came along with iTunes and the iPod, essentially combining the stores, the devices, and the music into one place. That is the kind of thinking that will be required in the modern economy and will be required to create the new clean energy economy, taking separate things and putting it together into something new. Friedman also says, and I think he's very right, be a great communicator. Nothing ever substitutes for that. Whether you're writing an essay, or a dissertation, a poem, a text message, an email, a speech to a large group, or sitting down with a few people, if you can be a great explainer, you will never have trouble finding an interesting job in the world, especially at the moment of a great economic transformation. Tom's list is a good one because it focuses on skills that anyone can develop over time. Learning the green economy, taking different ideas and putting them together, and being a great communicator. Now most importantly, as you go into the world, don't be afraid to change. Don't be afraid to tackle things that you don't quite understand, things that seem kind of ambiguous. Many of you will work in jobs that haven't even been invented. So remember to fall on your learning here from CC and keep an open mind. Find something that you're really passionate about and dive in. That's what I did. I focused my career on building socially important companies and trying to help them become large enough to make a difference. For about 20 years, I dedicated myself to improving healthcare for older Americans and low-income families. I left that company and took a leap off into a new field because I realized that unless we address climate change soon, nothing else might matter. As a businesswoman, a mother of three, I decided that I could use my experience and help the many socially and environmentally important companies and organizations that we need to create this new energy future and that will contribute 
to the creation of sustainable economic growth in the future and American leadership into a new century. I know working together, we can achieve that future. And I hope you, especially you students <clears throat> here at Colorado College, can join me in that task. Thank you so much.